We're in Philippians chapter 2, back in verse 12, we left off, and we're looking at today, very interesting stuff today, we're looking at spiritual growth. We're looking at how we can be growing Christians. I'm going to give you five key ingredients, five steps to being a growing Christian this morning, right from the Apostle Paul's words, Philippians 2, 12 to 18. Good stuff this morning. But we're going to, I'm going to start with a question. Well, first of all, listen, if you want to have more joy, the whole epistle is about joy, right? Fifteen times in four short chapters, we're told about joy in this, and we're going to see joy again mentioned in this section on spiritual growth. But if you want to have more joy in your life, you've got to be a growing Christian. If you want to have more joy in your life, be a person that's growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. One of my goals every year, as you begin a new year, one of my goals every year is to grow incrementally through that year so that at the end of that year, I can look back and say I'm a little bit further down the road and being like Jesus, and knowing Jesus, and, and growing spiritually than it was in the beginning of the year. You know, we're in the second quarter already of 2019. I can't believe in, you know, three quarters, we're going to be in 2020. Wow. It sounds like a movie, a sci-fi movie or something. 2020. But when we hit 2020, my goal in 2020, January, is to look back on 2019 and say, I'm a little bit more like Jesus in this first month of 2020 than it was in the first month of 2019. That's my goal. I hope that's your goal too. You know, we're supposed to be pressing on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And one of the calls of God for each one of our lives is we grow. We're not just supposed to be decisions for Christ. We're supposed to be disciples for Christ. What's a disciple? Someone's growing. Someone's learning. The word disciple actually means a disciplined learner. And we're told that our job as a church is to go and make, not decisions, but disciples of all the nations, baptizing you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. By the way, we did 50 baptisms last week. Wow! It's awesome. But then it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always, even in the age. That's the job of the church, is to help you grow. That's why we do what we do here at Calvary Chapel. We want you to grow. And as you grow... You're going to become more like Christ. And as you grow, you're going to have more joy because you're going on with your walk with Christ. So, question, whose job is it to get you to grow spiritually? Is it all God's job? Is it just let go, let God, and you'll automatically be a growing, you know, mature Christian? Or is it all your job? I mean, if it's going to be, is it up to me? Is it all my job to grow myself spiritually? Paul's going to answer that. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Paul's going to answer that question. Whose job is it to grow? In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Let's turn to it. If you're there, say amen. All right, here we go. So then, chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Look at this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Answer the question, whose job is it to get you to grow spiritually? It's both. It's God's job and it's our job. And notice what he says in that first verse, verse 12. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What do you mean fear and trembling? Have a healthy respect for the importance of growing spiritually. Work it out and have this trembling even and respect and reverence for the importance of going on with Christ and growing spiritually. Be people that takes this thing of spiritual maturity seriously. Now, does it say work for your salvation? No, it doesn't say that. 
Bible's clear. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? For by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. It's you don't save yourself. You don't work for your salvation. But it does say work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? What does it mean to work out? When you go to the gym, what do you do when you work out? You, you work out. You, get di- you, you discipline yourself to get some exercise. And that's what you're supposed to be doing in a spiritual sense. You know, bodily discipline is a little profit, but, but godly discipline is a much profit, Paul said, because it's for eternity. And what, what the scripture is making it clear is we have this responsibility of our spiritual maturity by working out, by exercising spiritual disciplines in our life so we can grow spiritually. Paul put it this way to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for older women. On the other hand, here it is, discipline yourself. Discipline yourself for what? The purpose of godliness. We got a part to play in the spiritual growth thing. And I'm gonna give you five things this morning that will help you discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Five truths that if you apply, you'll grow spiritually as you're living those truths out. So we got a part to play. But notice, we're not, just the, we're not the only factor in our spiritual growth. The very next verse, it says, after it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it says, verse 13, for it's God who's at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's what it's saying. Yet God's working in us. How? By the Holy Spirit. The moment you get saved, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says, after listening to the message of the church, believing in the gospel of your salvation, the Holy Spirit is deposited in your life. The Bible actually says your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the job of that Holy Spirit is to be not only a pleasure of your inheritance, but it's to conform you to the image of Christ. The job of the Holy Spirit in your life, as you cooperate with the Holy Spirit, what happens is that Holy Spirit becomes your helper. Parakletos in the Greek. It means he stands alongside you to help you grow spiritually. And the Holy Spirit works in your life to mature you in Christ. That's why it says in Zechariah, it says it's not by your might nor by your power, but by his Spirit. And that's why the Bible makes it very clear, the work of the Holy Spirit, as you behold Jesus' face in a personal relationship with him, as you behold his face, he changes you from glory to glory into his image by the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And it's wonderful that we don't have to do this all by ourselves. We have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to make us more like Christ. It's wonderful. And Jesus said it very clearly, abide in me, I'll abide in you, and I will produce much fruit, but apart from me, you could do nothing. But with Christ, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. You see that, church? So it's, what, what, who's responsible for our spiritual growth? Well, God is responsible for working in us for his will and his good pleasure, right? But then he's working in us, and we're working out with fear and trembling, what he's working in. So who's responsible for our spiritual growth? God and us. God's working in us by the work of the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus day by day. That Holy Spirit's conforming us into the image of Christ, changing us from glory to glory into the image of Christ. God's working in us for his will and good pleasure, but we're working out what God's working in as we exercise spiritual disciplines. So I'll give you five. Five things that'll help you. 
grow spiritually. Let's jump right back in. Verse, verse, after 12 and 13, verse 14, the first thing he says for spiritual growth, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Another version says, do all things without complaining and murmuring. Murmur, 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 murmur. Having an attitude of you're at work, complaining and grumbling. Can't believe he asked me to do that. That's, that's, that's below me to do that job. Murmur, 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 murmur. Can't believe my boss telling me to do that. Complaining, grumbling. Instead, you should have an attitude of thanksgiving. Lord, thank you that I got a job. Thank you, Lord, that I got a paycheck. Thank you I live in a great country that one of the wealthiest places in the world lived. Thank you, Lord, for your provision. Be in Jehovah Jireh. Come home. Complaining. Grumbling. Murmuring. I'm tired. I just want my remote control and sit in my recliner. Your wife says, will you take out the garbage, will you please? Oh, I can't believe she, didn't she know I've been on my feet all day, been working hard, now she wants me to take out the garbage? She should take it out. She cooked it. Oh, don't say that, guys. <laughs> that ain't going to work real well. Complaining, murmuring, grumbling. Instead of an attitude of thanksgiving, attitude that says, oh, thank you, I got, I got a wife that cleans the house so much that we got this garbage. Thank you that I got a wife that is stuck with me. Thank you, Lord, that she takes good care of this house. Thank you, Lord. Here's what I want. First thing, spiritual growth. You can't be a complainer and grumbler and be a growing Christian. You can't. Why? Because it grieves the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? Complaining and grumbling and murmuring grieves the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And that's why throughout the Old Testament, you'll see God's, one of God's major issues with God's people throughout Old Testament, story after story, is the complaining and grumbling of God's people. When, especially when the 40 years when they're out in the desert, in the wilderness, and they're constantly complaining. And God was having to bring discipline and judgment to his people because of their complaining. Just look at the book of Numbers, Numbers 16. The, they were complaining, Korah and, and these other leaders were complaining about the leadership God put in place with Moses. And God had to literally open up a hole in the ground, and all these people are complaining. He's swallowed up into a bottomless pit. Can you imagine that? I want to see that in the video vault when I get to heaven. Korah and all these leaders who were complaining, all of a sudden, whoa! and they're falling into a bottomless pit. <laughs> Another story. They're complaining about the manna. Oh, the same food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Manana, manana bread. Manana, manacotti. No, I'm just, but manna, 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 manna. They're complaining. And God finally sent poisonous snakes to bring judgment because their complaining just was grieving God's spirit. And I'm telling you what, you complain, you grumble, you'll grieve the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Just the opposite, if you're thankful, you'll bring on the work of the Spirit because a part of a Spirit-filled life is an attitude of gratitude. How do I know that? Ephesians 5, 18 to 21 tells us that. Look at Ephesians 5. The, look at the correlation between the Spirit-filled life and thanksgiving. Ephesians 5, 18. Don't get drunk with wine, that's dissipation. Be filled with the Spirit. And here's what being filled with the Spirit is. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody with their hearts to the Lord. Notice, verse 20, Spirit-filled life. Always what? Giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. A part of working with the Holy Spirit, working in your life, is always giving thanks. Always giving thanks. 
in the name of the Father, for notice, all things. Listen, church, a part of being in the will of God, being in the center of God's will, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you, in Christ Jesus. You want, to be, you want to be in God's will? I know you want. I want to be in the center of God's will. It's the safest, best place to be. And the only way I could be in the center of God's will is to be a person of thanksgiving. And everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Everything. Be a thankful person. And then you're going to be flowing with the work of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be living a spirit-filled life rather than quenching the Spirit and grieving the work of the Spirit by complaining and grumbling and murmuring. See that? So be thankful, not just one day of the year when you eat turkey, every day, in everything, give thanks. And the antidote to being a complaining, grumbling person is thanksgiving. You know, the guy that founded our U-Turn for Christ Ranch before Pastor Steve got here was a guy by the name of Chuck Perry. They used to call him the Hammer. <laughs> that was his nickname because he was just, guys would come into the U-Turn and he would just hammer him in place. But one of his famous lines, Chuck Perry, founder of U-Turn, one of his famous lines is, he's with the Lord now, he died of cancer. But I remember he would tell guys that come into U-Turn over and over again, hey, you want some cheese and crackers with that wine? And he would just disciple guys and saying, hey, a part of you not walking with the Lord is being a thankful person. Be thankful. Be thankful. And I tell you what, here in America, we got more to be thankful for than just about any other nation in the world. If you're in the middle class uh, part of just income in the, in the United States of America, you're in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. And everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen, church? Let's be thankful. It'll help us grow spiritually. It'll help us stay in the flow of the spirit-filled life. Do nothing with grumbling or complaining or murmuring. Let's be thankful. And then it goes on after saying, do, do all things without grumbling or disputing, verse 15, so that you'll prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now, what that's saying is this. We're to be in the midst of this crookedness that's around us. The word crooked there is warped. And I tell you what, the more I'm seeing our world lately, the more warped it is. Amen? The more crooked and perverse everything around us is. And in the midst of that, we're to be blameless. The word blameless there is without fault. doesn't mean perfect. It means without fault. It means we're living above this world and the standards of this world. Blameless means we're to be people, as it says there too, above reproach, different than the rest of the world. And then it also says we're to be innocent. The word innocent there is unmixed. You know what that means? You don't mix with the world. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God. Again, the will of God is that you don't be mixed with the world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you see that, church? So the second principle here is we're to be holy. We're to be people that aren't mixing with the world around us. We're to be literally no compromise Christians when I was a young Christian, one of my guys I always listened to, one of my mentors through music was a guy by the name of Keith Green. And I went to Keith Green. I had the privilege of seeing Keith Green right before he died in a plane crash in 1982. He died that summer. I saw him that spring in Peoria, Illinois at a, a civic center with 10,000 other people. And I'll never forget that concert because it was more than just music. It's Keith Green. We had teenagers all over the place, mostly young people there. Keith Green was challenging all of us to not be 
mixed with the world. He was challenging us. He had just come out with an album before that called No Compromise. He's challenging us to be no compromise Christians, to literally be holy in the midst of a perverse and crooked world around us. And I'll never forget because at the end of that concert, he had a call for repentance, a call for salvation. And I'm serious, there was 10,000 people there, over 1,000 people came forward at that altar call. We were committing ourselves to being holy, and a lot of people were getting saved too. And then he sang this song, I'll never forget it. It had, it had, this, it had this changing thing upon my life. I mean, it reverberated within my soul. It was a song about, make my life a prayer to you. Make my life a no-compromise life. Make my life a holy life. His wife had written the song, actually, Melody Green, and he sang it to us. And man, I heard that song. It was a benchmark spiritually in my life where I said, that's it. I'm done with the world. I want to be holy. And so I was thinking maybe this morning I could go over to the piano and play that for you. And sing. No, you don't want to do that. That would be a mess. But hey, I wanted to, this is a, vintage video of him singing that song. I just want to play that for you. Lights, camera, action. Keith Green, he played that at the end of this concert, challenging us, challenging us to be holy as a young generation. It's a great song. It's really neat to sing your wife's song. This is circa 1980 about. His wife wrote the song, Melody Green. Just believe what you 
Amen. Amen. Hey, may that be all of our prayers. Amen. No compromise. Unmixed with the world. Different. And you know why that's important? Because we're living in the Bible Belt. Everybody and their brother goes to church around here. But there's a lot of cultural Christianity, as Bill Jones puts it. And what's cultural Christianity? It's going to church on Sunday and then living any way you want the rest of the week. That's not true Christianity. True Christianity is 24-7. Where you say, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to seek for his kingdom and his righteousness so all things can be added on to me and different for the, for the rest of my life. I'm going to live for Christ. The Bible says in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. And that's the kind of life that God, Christ is calling us to live. Amen? Heidi and I were watching TBN Friday night. Christian uh, TV station. It was really fun because they were doing an interview with another one of my favorite musicians, Stephen Curtis Chapman. And it was really cool because Stephen Curtis Chapman was being interviewed with his dad and his brother, who I didn't know this, but his, his dad's a great guitar player and his brother is an incredible voice singer. He's got kind of like a Gaither kind of voice. And they were interviewing Stephen Curtis Chapman because Stephen Curtis Chapman had just come out with this new CD. The new CD is with with his dad and his brother singing along with him on the CD. I just ordered it after, the, after we saw the interview. But the thing that blew me away was his dad, Stephen Curtis Chapman's dad, back in the day, incredible guitar player, was doing country music. And he was a cultural Christian. What do I mean by that? He was bringing his, church, his, his family to church on Sunday, but Friday and Saturday night he was at the bars doing worldly songs and drinking with everybody else and doing country music. And he wandered in with one of his friends to a Christian concert by Dallas Holmes, another uh, former uh, great musician. And a Christian friend brought him to this Christian concert. And Dallas Holmes was singing, He Will Rise Again. And the Holy Spirit fell on Stephen Curtis Chapman's dad. He said, literally, the Holy Spirit just fell on me right there. And I came to Christ. And I gave my life to Jesus that night at Dallas Holmes' concert. And he said, I went back to my house and told my wife, I'm never going to do country music again. I'm stopping. No more bars, no more drinking, and I'm living for Christ now. And you know what? I was watching that, and then I was watching them sing after their interview with the father and Stephen Curtis Chapman and his brother, and I was going, wow, the decision of one dad that changed the whole destiny of not only his life, his whole family's life, and then Stephen Curtis Chapman now has, 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 has touched pe- millions of people's with his, his music. He's won 20 uh, 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 Dove Awards, five Grammys, and it was because he had a dad that took seriously this call to be holy in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. So dads, let's do that for our kids, amen? Moms, let's do that for our kids, amen? Let's be holy. And as you have this commitment to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, God's going to add on to you spiritual growth. You're going to grow as you commit yourself to be holy, not conform to this world. And, and to be, as it says here again, blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now, next, so first principle, be thankful. Second principle for growing spiritually, be holy. And then it says, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Now the word light there, interesting, luminaries, literally translated light bearers. Who's the light? Are we the light? 
We're not the light. Who's the light? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But here's the neat thing. You grow in that relationship with Jesus Christ, he starts shining his light in you and then through you. We're light bearers. I love Phil Wickham's song that talks about that Jesus is the sun and we're the moon. And his sun shines through us to bear light to the world. So that's the next principle for growing spiritually. Be light bearers. Jesus said, shine your light in such a way that others may see your good works, and they too may glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you what? Fishers of men, man. If you know you're following Jesus if you're fishing for men, and you're being light bearers, and you're being the witnesses God's called you to be. So here's the next principle for spiritual growth. Be a witness. And I tell you, we all have dry times. We all have times where we're in the valley and we're not growing spiritually. We get stagnant. But the greatest way you overcome those dry times spiritually is go find someone to tell Jesus about. Go find somebody to be a witness to. And that'll get you going again. Because here, here's what happens. If you don't have an outlet of sharing Christ and being a witness to other people, you'll get stagnant. You'll get dead spiritually because you're supposed to have the flow of God's light shining upon you and then shining through you. We're supposed to be an outlet of God's light. We're supposed to be, again, light bearers. We're supposed to be luminaries in this dark, perverse, crooked generation. I've been to Israel three times now. Love it. One of my favorite things when we go to Israel is towards the end of the trip, we'll go to the Dead Sea. Dead Sea is amazing. Because Dead Seas, there's no outlet to the Dead Sea, and so all this stuff gets stuck in the Dead Sea. So much so, there's so many minerals and so many things. It, 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 you can literally float on your back in eight feet of water like you're lying on a table. I got pictures of myself with other guys from the church, and our feet are up in the air, and we're lying on our back, and we're in eight feet of water with nobody holding us up. It's amazing. But it's dead. In the Dead Sea, you go, you go right north of the Dead Sea on the Jordan River up to the Sea of Galilee, you got all these fish. Still to this day, there's a lot of fishing in the Sea of Galilee. Peter was a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. Andrew, all these disciples of Jesus, they're fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. But if you go just south on the Jordan River down to the Dead Sea, there's not a single fish alive in the Dead Sea. You know why? Because it's dead. And you know why it's dead? Because there's no outlet. It's stopped up. Dead. Because there's no outlet. We're going to be dead Christians if we don't have the outlet of being a witness for Jesus Christ. We got a theme around here for this year. It's up above that uh, air conditioning unit, above that air conditioning unit. Each one what? Let's say that again. Each one? One more time. Each one? And that's important for spiritual growth. Church, listen. Let's get out with it, man. Let's keep being a witness for Jesus Christ. And not only being a witness for Jesus Christ, let's make disciples. And one of the ways you could be a, dis- a disciple maker for Jesus Christ is have influence over other people, share Christ with them, and then get them with you in church. Because as you get them with you in here at church, they're going to hear God's word, they're going to start studying the Bible, and they're going to start growing spiritually too, because you got them here. And my goal for this next six to eight months is to each week challenge you all and challenge me to be a witness out there in the world to the point that there's people coming to Calvary Chapel sitting with us that we influence for Christ and we're reproducing contagious Christians. That's what we're called to be. And my goal is to see all of you in this next six to eight months coming with people that are tagging along with you, sitting next to you in church and are growing spiritually along with you. And that'll help you be a growing Christian. Amen? Let's get on with it. Let's each one reach one. 
And I'm going to be banging this drum all year long because that's what God wants us to do. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses. In Jerusalem, your home, Judea, Samaria, in, uh, surrounding regions, and even to the end of the earth. Each one, and you'll be a growing Christian as you do that, as you shine, as luminaries, as light bearers for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. Going on, next thing for spiritual growth, verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run fat, run in vain or toil in vain. Now, the word holding fast, are interesting. The word holding fast is retain. It means giving importance to. It means having as a, something you heeding. And so what's it saying for the next principle for spiritual growth? You need to retain, you need to give importance to, you need to heed the word of life. And what's the word of life? It's the word of God. Let me, Christians, please listen to me. Please listen to me. You cannot be a growing, maturing Christian unless you're retaining, heeding, and giving importance to the Word of God. You can't. The Bible says, 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babes, we're supposed to long for the pure milk of the Word, that by it we may grow, listen, grow in respect to your salvation. How do you grow? By longing for this book and feeding upon it, and then you'll be growing as a Christian. Why do we do so many Bible studies here at Calvary Chapel? I mean, there's Bible studies all the time at Calvary Chapel. There's Bible studies Wednesday night. There's Bible studies Thursday night. There's Bible studies Friday morning. There's Bible studies Friday night. There's Bible studies for young adults on Monday. There's Bible studies for men at breakfast on Saturday morning. There's two services on Sunday. Then Mike does all these classes with Bible studies. Why do we do all these Bible studies? What's with all these Bible studies? We do all these Bible studies because we want you to heed, retain, and give importance to God's Word so you can grow. Respect to your salvation. And my goal, my goal is just to be an appetizer. Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, my goal is to whet your appetite by studying God's word with you. Mike does Wednesday nights, whetting your appetite. I do Sunday mornings, whetting your appetite so that you'll start becoming a self-feeding Christian yourself. As you grow from just hearing God's word being taught here, my goal is to get you hungry for it so you start feeding yourself the rest of the week. I mean, you just don't eat two meals a week, do you? No, you do three meals a day. I believe every growing Christian should be at least on a daily basis feeding himself God's word. So how do you feed yourself God's word? Let's put up a hand from Navigators up here, and I'll show you. This is the way you feed yourself God's word. There's five important things you could do in, in heeding and giving attention to God's word in your life. The first thing, bottom pinky finger down, there's what we're doing right now, here. If you, as you hear God's word, faith, Romans tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. As you hear God's word taught, you will be a growing Christian. As you come here on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, as you listen to our radio station with Bible teaching on it, and hearing God's word, you'll be a growing Christian. Second thing is read it. Read it. Every Christian should have a reading program that on a daily basis you read at least a chapter or two of scripture. Read it. The Bible says that in Revelation 1, 1 3, blessed is he who reads and heeds the words of this book. Third thing you need to do is study it. The Bible says the Brians were noble-minded because they searched the scriptures daily. They were studying God's word. Now, what's the difference between studying and reading God's word? Well, think about finals in college, if you went to college. What did you do the night before a final? Did you just skip through, you know, skim through what you're reading? No, you studied it. You underlined it. You circled it. You tried to get it in your system so you wouldn't flunk the test. We should be doing that with God's word. 
A Bible that's falling apart is, a, is an indication of a life that's not. A Bible should have, you should be underlining, starring, circling, study Bibles, study God's Word if you want to be a growing Christian. And then it says, after study, memorize, memorizing God's Word. How could a young man keep his way pure by keeping according to that Word? Thy Word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You know what that's saying? You want to have a life that's pure and holy like we talked about earlier? Get God's Word in your heart. We had Awana's graduation Wednesday night. It was a lot of fun. We had all these kids uh, sharing their scriptures with uh, 200 of us eating dinner, watching them share their scriptures. We had five-year-olds and seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds sharing scripture that they had memorized in their heart. That, that made a pastor proud right here. I go, that's the way it's supposed to be. Kids from the youth up, putting God's word in their heart, it'll help us grow spiritually, memorizing God's word. Last thing is meditating on God's word. The Bible says in Psalm 1, if we meditate on God's word day and night, we'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, and whatever we do, we're going to prosper. You see the image there of growth? As you plant yourself and meditate on God's word, you're going to prosper, you're going to grow spiritually, you're going to be like a tree that's bearing fruit. Now, question, what's the difference between meditating and studying? Meditating is you're chewing on it. Chewing on it, you're digesting it, you're applying it, you're saying, this is how I'm going to live this out, and you spend time just focusing on the application of what you're reading. That's meditating. It's chewing on it. I've been told it's similar to the cow chewing on its cud. I'm a city boy, but I'm told by country people that a cow, what he actually does is he chews on food, and as he chews on the food, he swallows it, and this is kind of gross. He, he, then he throws it back up, and he chews on it some more, swallows it again, throws it back up again, and chews on it some more. That's kind of a nasty picture, isn't it? But that's, that's, that's in a sense, what we're doing with Scripture. We're chewing on it. We're digesting it. We're trying to apply it. We're trying to live it out. That's meditation. And all those things are important if we're going to be people that are holding fast, retaining, and heeding, and applying God's Word in our life. You can't be a growing Christian without being a Christian that's reading and hearing and meditating and memorizing and studying God's word. Amen? So let's be that. Let's be people that are growing in that way. Hmm. Now, last thing, we'll close with this morning. Verse 17. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way. Share your joy with me. Last thing that Paul's talking about here sacrifice and service. And he's saying, I'm, being, I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering. Well, you know what he's saying there? There's a very good chance in this prison I'm going to face Nero and I'm going to be executed. And Paul says, no big deal. Because he said earlier, Philippians 121, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Okay, he said, hey, if I get axed by Nero, praise the Lord. I'm out of here. I'm with Jesus. But what he's saying here is, in the sacrifice and service of y'all, in serving, there's joy. And there's also spiritual growth. Here's the last principle, very important. You want to be a growing Christian? Be a serving Christian. Be a serving Christian. What's our saying on the belief wall right over there? Save people, serve people. Jesus put it this way, the greatest among you shall be a servant. And the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus made it clear that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Here's what you need to do, church. You need to be Christians that are finding your gift and using them. How do you do that? Some of you are saying, well, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what God's called me to do. Hey, listen, just do something. Just start moving. 
Just start serving in some way. If it's ushering, just start ushering. If it's doing children's ministry, start doing some children's ministry. If it's, if it's, if it's helping with a, a youth ministry, do some, if it's involved in, in women's ministry, come on out and get involved with in women's ministry. It's get involved in a small group and just blessing people and ministering to people in a small group. Get involved in a small group. If it's men's breakfast, come and eat with us on Saturday morning. If it's mentoring some U-turn for Christ guys, because we're starting this mentoring program, do that. Find something to do for Christ, and it'll help you grow spiritually. Let, let, God can't steer a parked car. In other words, skip moving. Spend, figure out what time, talent, and treasures that you're going to give to the Lord to serve. Oh, it was 1981. I got involved in Baptist Student Union in our college campus, University of Illinois. And I started going on these rural student ministry teams. We did revivals at rural churches. And I was the gopher. You know what a gopher is? I was just, I was the guy who was getting the stuff for the people that were doing important stuff. And so, like, I was a sophomore in college. The juniors and seniors in college, they were preaching the revival services. They were doing the main Bible studies and stuff. And I was the gopher. I just went and whatever they needed. And that, I helped with the, some of the kids' ministry. And I helped with some of the youth stuff that was going on and stuff. I played football with the youth and did the youth stuff and everything. But I just, I was just kind of behind the scenes. I was just serving. So I, and it was great. I loved it. Until Paul Abbott was his name. He was the senior that was the preacher. And he got sick on a Saturday night, and he got the flu. He's thrown up. And then he came to me, and he knocked on my door, and it was like 8 or, eight or 9 o'clock at night, and I was getting ready to read my word and stuff. And he said, you're on for tomorrow morning. I go, say what? He said, you're preaching. I can't. I'm throwing up. I can't preach. You're preaching tomorrow morning. I said, Paul, don't do this to me, please. I'm a gopher. Please. He said, no, you, God told me you're supposed to preach for me tomorrow morning. You're on. So I stayed up till 2 o'clock in the morning. I, I mean, I was scribbling notes on that paper, legal paper, everything. I just put every Bible scripture I had remember. I was two years old in the Lord. I'm going to put, and, and, I, and so I remember that next morning, this Baptist church, central Illinois, and walking up to that pulpit, knees were knocking. I put my scribble notes on the Baptist pulpit, and I put my Bible down. And I said, oh, Lord, help me. I started preaching. I felt the unction of the Holy Spirit. Now I know it was rough. My knees were knocking. But about halfway through that message, God spoke to me. He said, John Hoppy, you're supposed to do this for the rest of your life. And the call of God from 19 years old has never left. And I got that call because I was just serving. I was just being a gopher, helping with the kids and helping with the youth ministry. I was moving, and God steered me into this thing that I loved doing for the last 40 years. Praise the Lord. Now, God's calling most of you not to be preachers. Okay, all of you next week, you're going to be up here and you're preaching. No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that you got different gifts, you got different callings, you got things God wants you to do in your life. And the only way you're going to find out what God's called you to do is start moving, start serving, start doing something and serving the Lord. Amen? So what do we got to do to be growing Christians? Five things we learned this morning. First of all, it's not up to us totally. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. God's working in us for his will and good pleasure. But we're to work out what he's working in. 
And the five things we need, the five bullet points that will help us grow spiritually. Number one, go back to our scripture. Number one, be thankful. Don't be complaining and murmuring. It'll grieve and quench the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But in everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Number two on our list, be holy. Be blameless. Be innocent in a perverse and crooked generation. Don't be mixed with this world. Don't give in to the cultural Christianity. Be different. Be holy. I'm not saying be perfect, but be seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness so he can add all things on us. Number three, be a witness, man. Have an outlet for all your learning. Tell other people. Be fishers of men. It'll help you grow spiritually. Number four, be a person, a man or a woman of the word. Be people that are holding fast, retaining, and giving importance to the word of life. Be people that are heeding God's word and learning it and studying it and memorizing it and reading it and hearing it being taught. It'll help you be a growing Christian. And lastly, be serving. The greatest among you shall be a servant, Jesus said. That's greatness in God's kingdom. Be serving. Amen? Amen, church? Some of you might be here this morning and say, well, John, this stuff is going over my head. I just, well, what is up with all this stuff? I just came to church because some person invited me or something. And you're saying, I don't even know if I'm saved. Some of you might be here this morning and say, if you were to die today, you wouldn't even know you're going to heaven. You don't have a time in your life where you open your heart to Jesus. Hey, good news. The Bible says, but as many as received him, he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The good news is Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart right now. And he's saying, if you, if you open the door of your heart, I'll come in, and I'll forgive you of anything you've ever done, and I'll be your Lord, I'll be your Savior, I'll be your friend, and I'll save you. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So if you've never done that, what are you waiting for, man? I did it almost 40 years ago. It was the best decision I've ever made in my life. I've never regretted ever opening my heart to Jesus. If you haven't done that yet, do it this morning. I'll lead you just in a prayer. And all I'm going to ask you to do is raise your hand and say, John, pray for me. And I'll lead you in a prayer that will help you open your heart to Jesus. If you've never done that, may today be your day. Receive Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. It is the word of life. Thank you, God, that as we study your word, it's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It helps us to be people that are growing Christians. Father, help us as Christians to be living these things out, not just be hearing your word, but doing your word. Help us to be people that are, are, are using these truths we've learned this morning to grow spiritually. Help us to be people, even this week, that are going to get rid of the murmuring, complaining, grumbling, and will be thankful, Lord. Help us to be Christians that aren't mixed with this world, but holy. Help us to be witnesses this week, Lord. Help us to be sharing Christ, even this week, with a lost world that needs Jesus. Help us to be Christians too, men and women of the word that are holding fast the word of life and help us to be serving too, Father. God, forgive us for our selfishness and our attitude of just about wanting just to do what we want to do instead of serving people and serving you, God. Give us hearts of servants, Father, even this week, Father.